Before we begin this morning, I'm going to ask you to join me again in, in prayer. Father, we are so grateful that you are a faithful God. And it's a great faithfulness, Lord. It's an infinite faithfulness. It's an eternal faithfulness. A changeless faithfulness. God, you are forever and will always be faithful. And we find great hope in that. We rejoice this morning in the great truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the perfect demonstration of your faithfulness. And we pray now, God, that you would open our eyes to your word and that our hearts would surrender to what you show us this morning and that we might leave this place different because we've heard from you through your word. And we pray this in Christ's great and precious name. Amen. I uh, spoke with uh, J.D. this morning and he wanted uh, me to express to you that they're very sorry that they could not be here this morning. Uh, their intention and hope uh, was to be here. Uh, they had a wheelchair ready for Sarah and they were prepared uh, to come, but her strength is just not there. And they, she did not feel strong enough to come and so he has stayed home uh, with her to tend to her uh, this morning. And he wanted me to express to you uh, that he feels your love. It's amazing, he said, Otto, it's amazing. Uh, we've, we've got people bringing meals over and all kinds of things. We're, we've got meals all the way through Thursday. I mean, it's just Sunday, right? I mean, you guys may be a smaller group of people or feel small, but you are overwhelming them with your love um, physically, and he feels your prayers on him. And Sarah does as well. And they are so thankful for you as a body. And they wanted me to express that so that you would know, even though they're not here this morning, their hearts are with you. And they are so grateful that your hearts um, are with them. Now, I promised J.D. this, though, that today, regardless of what's going on in the life of your pastor's wife and your pastor's family and your pastor, um, that I would not let you stay focused on that, but that I would try my very best to point you to God. Because He is the hope that they have, and He is the hope that we need. And so this morning, uh, we're going to do uh, that together. I want to keep my promise uh, to your pastor. I, and I know I say this every time I'm here, but I, I, I don't think I could love any guy more than I love J.D. Summers um, and respect him. Uh, he, he's my uh, younger, well, he's not quite half my age, but he's pretty young. And, uh, and I respect him at the highest level and just love him uh, to death, as I'm sure you do as well. Uh, this morning, if you uh, have a Bible with you or a tablet or your phone, navigate uh, to Isaiah 40, please. You know, when we have circumstances like Sarah and J.D. are going through in our lives, or maybe it's just when we observe some of the things that are happen, happening in the world around us, 
some of the disturbing maybe political things that are happening or international things that are happening or even local things that are happening or things that are happening to people that we know and love even beyond J.D. and Sarah. Sometimes we can spend too much time dwelling on the circumstances of life and not enough time dwelling on God and all the promises that God has for us in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I want to use Isaiah 40 to help refocus our attention on God and all that He is for us in Jesus Christ. Turn to the very last verse of that chapter, chapter or verse 31, uh, please. Verse 31. This is one of those famous Christian verses. Like if you go, if you were to find a Christian bookstore or you go uh, somewhere on the internet to a Christian uh, website that sells uh, stuff like coffee mugs and paintings and t-shirts, you will see this verse plastered everywhere, right? I mean, it is, it is so um, famous because it is so positive in what it is trying to communicate. Isaiah 40, 31 says, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Some of your translations may say, but those who hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. The idea here is that God wants to use um, this verse to encourage His people because they have become weary. Life can make you weary. Sin can make you weary. Praying for your pastor and his wife can make you weary. Or for the Millers, or for your own family, or your own friends can make you weary, and you are not alone. We could all use the renewal of strength that God is talking about in this passage. We would all like to soar with the eagles and have the endurance of a distance runner as we run the race of life. And the promise that is made here comes to those who wait or hope in the Lord. But what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, I like that the NIV does use the word hope there because this word wait can sometimes, when we hear that in English, sometimes when we think of waiting, it's like we're just like lingering around. It can almost have a negative connotation. Like when you go to the the DMV or you go to Walmart on Christmas or on Thanksgiving, right? At Thanksgiving in the long lines and you're waiting in this negative way. That's not at all what God intends to communicate uh, with this Hebrew word that he is often translated wait in our translations. In fact, this word is almost equally an equal number of times translated hope. One of the places where the word wait and hope occur in the same verse is in chapter 8 of Isaiah, verse 17, where the word wait, which means like to linger or just kind of, you know, I'm just kind of waiting. I'm standing in line waiting is translated wait, and this word that is used in our text is translated hope. Because what the writer here wants to communicate is not this annoying waiting, it is that patient, expectant waiting for something exciting. I am waiting for the Lord, or I am hoping in the Lord. And that is what we need this morning. So this strength comes from finding hope in God. So, if this is the end of the chapter, then that hope in God 
must come in the first 30 verses of this chapter, and it does. I'm going to only cover the first 11 this morning, but there are many great verses in this chapter which exalt God and seek to gather His people in hope. So go back to verse 1 because that is where we are going to spend most of our time um, this morning. The context for Isaiah 40 is God speaking through Isaiah to His people who have already been charged in the first 39 chapters with a coming exile. They are looking forward to a promised judgment for their sin and rejection of God. And chapters 40 through 66 then make a shift. And the shift begins to move in the direction of hope and redemption and forgiveness. And Isaiah 40 is the perfect um, place to start out that hope. Comfort my people, God says, verse 1. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. That her iniquity is pardoned. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers. The flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion. Herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up. Fear not and say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms, and He will carry them in His bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. We need our strength renewed this morning, if we need to capture hope, we need to understand the message that God is trying to communicate through these verses, not just to the nation of Israel, because the true, the true um, fulfillment of these verses is yet to come, is yet to come. It is something future. It is something that God's people today can look to and draw hope from and renew strength in, because they reveal some great truths about God to us. If we want our strength renewed, then first of all, we must put our hope in the promise of His coming. Our hope must be in the promise of His coming. We're looking for comfort that God promises to His people in verse 1. 
But look with me at verses 3 and 4 for the promise of His coming. Verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Does that verse sound familiar to you? It should. It should. Both Matthew, or both, all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke record for us these verses from Isaiah in reference to John the Baptist. You see, these verses were about the coming of God, the coming of Israel's true king, the Lord himself, the Messiah, the coming of the king. And one was going before the king, declaring his coming, and John understood his role to be that role. Matthew, Mark, and Luke understood John's role to be that role. King Jesus was on the scene. And John was announcing him. The king has come. And John's message was, the king is coming. Prepare yourselves for his coming. Are you ready for his coming? John was heralding his coming and calling his people to prepare. And verse 4 reveals this idea of preparation. Every valley lifted up, every mountain and hill made low, uneven ground becoming level, and the rough places plain. As I did some reading this week on this uh, verse, I'm trying to understand it, whether it was just simply something at the end of days that God would do. Um, A lot of commentators pointed out that in the day of this writing, it was customary for when a ruler, a monarch, a king, an emperor would travel to a part of his land, um, that they would actually prepare a special roadway just for him. You know, in that day, there were many trails, and people would just make common trails uh, to their towns and villages. But this was the special preparation of a roadway that could be used for the transport of a monarch. Had to be worthy of him, him and his retinue and all the people that would be with him. So it would be wide, and they tried to make it as flat and as straight as possible. The coming of this king was prepared for by his people. He couldn't just come, you know, down any old path or any old road. His people needed to be prepared for His coming. You know, our hope is in the promise of His coming if we are prepared. For those of us who know Jesus as Savior, who have believed on Him and are trusting in Him, our hearts are prepared for His coming. And from that, we should be able to renew our strength. From that, we receive great hope, this idea of His coming We are ready. I guarantee you this morning that Sarah is ready for the coming of Jesus. That J.D. is ready for the coming of Jesus. And probably many of you are ready for the coming of Jesus. And there is hope in that promise of His coming. You see, Jesus' first coming, the coming that John the Baptist announced, was not to come as a conqueror. Not to come as a king who would rule and establish authority. His first coming was to come to die. See, the people that Jesus will be king of need redemption. They needed forgiveness. They needed saving. There wasn't a single person, including John the Baptist, who was worthy of that king. And that's why Jesus had to die. He died in their place. 
He has died in your place. He calls you to believe, to trust in Him, in Him alone. That His death was your only sufficient hope to be saved. You see, your King is coming again. He promised that He would come again. He talked to his people about this in Matthew 24, Matthew 25. He talked about his people being prepared for his coming. In fact, he, let me read you his words. Matthew 24, verse 44, he said, Therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Meaning, if you want to be prepared for your king, you don't get to just say, well, you know, I know that that's something that God seems to be saying to me. I hear it over and over through Pastor J.D. I'm hearing it again this morning. I'm hearing that I need to give my life to Jesus and trust in His death on the cross for my sins. But I'm not ready yet. There's just so much of life that I want to live and enjoy. And Jesus said, be ready. For you do not know when the Son of Man is coming. He then told a story about 10 ladies who were waiting to be part of a bridal party. The bridegroom was coming to gather his, to get his bride and to take her back to his dwelling. And they were a part of that group and they were waiting and they had lanterns. And some of the ladies did not prepare by bringing enough oil to burn in the lanterns. And they asked to borrow some oil from some of the other ladies. And they said, no, if, if we give you some of our oil, we, we won't have enough oil. We've got to have light so that we can see the coming of the bridegroom and participate with him and leave with him, celebrating as we travel back to his home. Jesus said, you have to be prepared. Those ladies were not prepared. They were not ready. And at the end of that story, he said, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. You know, that's what verse 4 is about. It's about being prepared. Being prepared for the coming of the King, King Jesus. For those of us who are prepared, who have given our hearts and lives to Jesus and are trusting in Him, our hope is in the promise of His coming because He will come again. He will. Our strength is renewed when our hope is in the promise of His coming. Secondly, our hope must be in the spread of His glory. Look with me at verse 5. Isaiah is using these words to comfort the people of God who are about to head into exile. And God wants them to know, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it. When my glory comes upon the scene, when I come upon the scene, when my, like my carriage rolling down this pathway, it's going to be like a new sunrise. You know, there's, there's darkness and there's shadow. And then when the sun begins to rise, there is just light and you can see. And then the light becomes so bright and you can't even look at the sun. It is so bright. And you look around and that darkness that, and that shadow that you were facing um, before is gone. And now all you see 
is light. That is the coming of the glory of the Lord. And he says here that all flesh will see it. It will not be hidden. It's, hard, it's impossible for me to even imagine this. But I do not doubt it. That God's glory is going to encompass the earth. Everyone will see the glory of God. We're not going to need TVs to see the glory of God. Oh look, Jesus has appeared in Jerusalem and you can see the glory surrounding Him. I think the entire earth will be aware that something strange and new is happening. I think this glory could be so bright that if the sun was shining in the south and you were staring right at it, you could not see the sun because the glory of God will be shining all over the earth and the whole earth will know that something amazing is happening. Does your heart echo the cry of the psalmist in Psalm 72, verse 19? Is your hope in the spread of God's glory? This is what the psalmist said. Blessed be His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Is that the cry of your heart? Is it ever the cry of your heart? I know there are days when you've got to be honest and say, no, that hasn't been the cry of my heart. But is that ever the cry of your heart? You know, the wonderful thing about finding hope in the spread of God's glory is realizing how it is possible to spread God's glory today. Now, I get it. You, you can't cover the whole earth with the glory of God. But you can spread the glory of God today where you are. With the sphere of people who are in your lives you have the opportunity to testify and to spread the glory of God as you face cancer. We've had a young couple in our church go through that. He had leukemia. And they have spread the glory of God to doctors and nurses and others as they face this 28-year-old man having leukemia. You can... Spread the glory of God as you face the disturbing national headlines or world events. As you face the loss of a job or the difficulty of parenting or financial hardship. You can spread the glory of the Lord as you face those in, face those in faith. And people see you responding in faith. It doesn't mean you have to be fake. It doesn't mean you have to put on a smile. All the time. It doesn't mean that you can't cry and feel sorrow. But it does mean that in faith you can spread the glory of God. Because nothing can explain that. Those types of things devastate people. But when people see you resting in the glory of God. Holding on to the God you worship. His glory is spreading. And they see you doing that by faith. Our strength is renewed when our hope is in the spread of His glory. But thirdly, our hope must also be in the reliability of His word. Look at verses 5 through 8 with me. The end of verse 5 there, and I didn't read it before, is a declaration of God's word. And God says, All flesh will see my glory, 
for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God is saying, this is my promise to you. This is not hyperbole. This is not an overstatement. I'm just not just trying to say, hey, it's going to be really bright and a lot of people are going to see it. No, everyone is going to see my glory because I have spoken it. It shall be. And then God gives an illustration of all of the things in this world that are temporary. Right? All of the things that we sometimes place our hope in, whether it's things or other people, uh, other people's influence, ourselves, our strength, our possessions, and beauty in organizations or governments or medicine. He says, God says, you know, when you look at those things, can you count on every one of those things every day? No. You can't. You can't count on yourself every day. You can't count on the people around you every day. Sarah's got no answers from modern medicine yet. And there's no guarantee that they can do anything for her without God's intervention. You can't count on your government or any other world government. You can't count on any single organization, but you can count on this, God says. These other things may wither, beauty may fade, but verse, at the end of verse 8, the word of the Lord, the word of our God will stand forever. He says, we try to draw, you, you try to draw Jerusalem and Judah, your hope from so many other things. I want you to draw your hope and your strength from the reliability of my word. When I make a promise to you, when I'm trying to comfort you with my word, when I'm calling you to do something, I want you to know that my word is reliable. He would say this later in Isaiah 55 in this way, starting in verse 10. God would say, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. My word, God said, is reliable and effective, and that is a source of hope for His people. Jesus echoed this. In Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5, verse 18, Jesus said, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Not one word of God will ever fail. If God says He will never leave you nor forsake you, He will never leave you nor forsake you. If you are His child, you are forever His child. This is not an adoptive father who sends his child back to Russia or back to China or back to Kansas kids. This is an adoptive father who fights through all the difficulty because his goal for you is to form you into the image of his son. And he will do that work. It may be painful sometimes. It may be wearying sometimes, 
but his word is sure and reliable. And our hope is in the reliability of that word. And from it, our strength is renewed. Fourthly, our hope must be in the assurance of his justice. Our hope must be in the assurance of his justice. Verses 9 and 10. God speaking through Isaiah is calling one to go up on a mountain and proclaim to Jerusalem. Whether it's Isaiah or another is not important. The idea here is that he wants them to call out that they should not fear. That they can trust in the assurance of God's justice. And that one crying out says to Jerusalem, says to Judah, Behold your God. This coming king is more than... He's he's not a man. Or he's not like Queen Elizabeth with all of her pomp and circumstance and and her importance is all wrapped up in, in history and it's all wrapped up in all of the trappings that surround her comings and goings. No, this is when God walks on the scene, He doesn't need any attendance. He doesn't need a retinue around Him and a people to make Him important. When He walks on the scene and people behold Him, they fall flat on their face because He is God and He is on the scene. And His people can be assured of justice. Behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might and His arm rules for Him. Fear not, people of Judah. You're to have confidence. When King Jesus returns, He will come in power and with authority. And all wrongs will be made right. All evil will be dealt with. All opposition will be stilled. These are the things that have negative effects on us, aren't they? Sometimes in the face of evil, we, we can get weary. We can despair. We can despair over wrongs that have been done to us or wrongs that we see in the world. And we can despair. And we certainly are aware of the opposition to God. And sometimes that can be overwhelming. But know this, when King Jesus comes, He will come with power and with authority, with might, and His arm rules for Him. That's why you must be prepared. You do not want to be on the wrong side of King Jesus when He comes. Now, I know that sounds hard, and it sounds harsh, and many today would say, you know, that's not my God. My God is a God of love. We're about to see our God of love. But if in your heart you're shaking your fist at Jesus, saying, not today, not your will, but my will be done. If you're doing that, and he were to come at this moment, This room full of people couldn't protect you. This city couldn't protect you. This country with all of its weapons couldn't protect you. This world 
if it was on your side, could not protect you. Today, if he is calling you to lower your fist and surrender to him, I pray you do it. Because when he comes, he will come with might. And it doesn't matter whether you like that or not. That's how he's coming. Behold your God. But there is something else in verse 10. He is coming with authority and power. And that's why you need to be prepared. But look at what else he says there. He comes with a reward. That's what I mean about being on the wrong side. There are people who you are sitting next to who are just as imperfect as you. Who have struggled maybe with some of the same things you struggle with. But you're doing this to God. No. And they've said, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. And that's the line. And for those people, Jesus comes with a reward. A recompense is before him. There is hope. There is something that he is going to give to us that I think Peter refers to in 1 Peter 5 verse 4. And when the chief shepherd, this is Jesus, the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You're like, oh, that's for... That's for people like Pastor J.D. or Pastor Otto or, you know, maybe some of our deacons, but that's not for me. No, if you receive, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, I don't know, I don't care if your life on the outside looks just like J.D.'s life, but if Jesus is your Lord and Savior and you are surrendering and submitting to Him, if you are dealing with your sin in repentance and faith, repentance and faith, because it keeps cropping up. If that is you, then he has a crown of glory for you. Not might, not power, but a crown of glory. And probably these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. That is our God. Our strength is renewed when our hope is in the assurance of His justice. He sees all the wrongs and He sees all the rights. And He will execute that justice. But on the cross, God executed justice. And for those who have received that forgiveness, they now, their justice is a reward. Is a reward. You know, sometimes in life, things happen to us. We, we forget about this day when Jesus returns. And we want justice for ourselves. I think that's why God wrote to his church through Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, when he said this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You know, if you think someone has wronged you, 
stop praying for them to get theirs. They will when God returns. Or if Jesus has died for them and they know him as Savior, then Jesus took that from them. You can release that vengeful heart and know that God will bring justice on that day of his return. We draw strength from that. And then in verse 11, our hope must be in the tenderness of his care. This verse is what everybody likes to read about God because it is magnificent. But remember, it is only written to those who are prepared for his coming. And he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Hmm. The gentleness of his care. You know, some people have this idea that when Christ returns that God is a, he's a harsh task man. If this God of the Bible comes back and he sets up a kingdom He's a harsh taskmaster. There'll be no fun in this kingdom. It'll be hard work all the time. Nobody steps out of line, period. And I think it's true that it, it, nobody's going to step out of line when he returns. But it's not going to be because he is hard and harsh and his people are miserable. No, these verses reveal God to us and who He is and how we as His people will spend all of eternity. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. We will not be miserable. We will be tenderly cared for. We will not resent Him, but we will seek out His comfort. This is the God everybody loves. It's verses 3-10 through 10 that everybody has a problem with. But this is the God that everybody loves. And this is God to his children. Can you imagine him gathering you to his chest like a, a mother gathers a newborn so tightly to her, tenderly to her? You, you remember, you've, you've held a baby. Can you can imagine how, how soft and tender. That's how God wants to tenderly care for you. And your strength is renewed when you find hope in that. God, this world is hard. Life is hard. The circumstances of life are hard. But you have promised me tender care. Tender care. Psalm 23, this idea of God as shepherd, is still read at almost every funeral you attend. Why? Because of the imagery there of a shepherd gently caring for his sheep, protecting them, loving them, nourishing them, leading them. That is our God, and our hope is in the gentleness of his care. There's a last thing here. You're probably like, wait a minute, I'm at verse 11. I'm ready for you to pray and be done. No, there's a final thing. I skipped over it. 
There's a final thing that our hope must be in, and it's the abundance of his pardon. It's in verse 2. Look back at verse 2 with me. Remember in verse 1, God says, Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. You see, verse 2 is critical to everything that follows in the next uh, 29 verses in order to get to verse 31 so that our strength can be renewed, that our hope will be in God. It is critical here to see that our hope must be in the abundance of His pardon. It's the end of this verse that's probably troubling to you. That her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. That doesn't sound very good. You're talking about the might and authority of God dishing out judgment and punishment. And when Israel has received enough, then he will come. You know, you could read it that way and you would be wrong. One of the important things to understand about reading the Bible is to read it in its context. And sometimes you have to think about the tone in which a verse or passage is being communicated. Does what I just described to you offer any kind of comfort? Is that tender? No, it's not. And God would never write it. You know why? Because Israel couldn't pay for her iniquity. God was certainly sending her into exile because that was part of the covenant that he made with his people. When you turn against me, I will do this. And they said, God, you will be our God and we will be your people and we will do all that you've commanded. And then they didn't. Now, how is God supposed to respond to that? Send them into exile. And he will. But that cannot pay for their sin. And, and think about that word pardon. When someone serves their time in jail, at the end of that, they don't get pardoned. They've served their time. They've earned their release. When you get pardoned, it's when you still owe time and somebody says, it's forgiven. So read these words with me the way God has written them. Comfort my people. Speak tenderly to them. She has received, my people have received from the Lord's hand double for all their sins. I have gone above and beyond in covering the payment for their sins. There is an abundance of pardon here. And this is the work of Jesus. This is what Jesus has done. This is His death on the cross for you that you celebrated last Sunday. His death and resurrection which was a declaration that God accepted His payment for sin. Will you receive it and trust Him? If you have, then your hope is found in the abundance of this pardon because it is complete. Isaiah would write further about this pardon. In Isaiah 43, uh, verse 25, he would say this, this is God speaking through Isaiah. I, I am he 
who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Or Isaiah 55, verses 3 3 through 6, speaking of Jesus. Incline your ear and come to me here. Whoops, I'm sorry, 53, 3 through 6. He was despised, speaking of Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Meaning when we saw him being crucified, we thought God was against him. And yet, oh yet, he was pierced for our transgressions. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds... We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. There is an abundant pardon waiting for you. If you have received it, then there, is, there should be great hope. Because God's word is reliable. You have received double, more than double, for all your sins. If you were to stand before the judgment seat of God, you, and let's say all of us in this room who have received Jesus as Savior are standing together before the judgment seat of God. Only those who have received Jesus as Savior. We're standing there looking up at God as He opens the books, the record of our life, and He looks at all the stuff that we're not very proud of. In fact, that we're very ashamed of. That some of us carry a tremendous amount of guilt. For. He looks at all that and you look at the fiery eyes of God and you know the wrath of God. Imagine there is one standing in front of our group. Jesus. He said, and he would say, Father, I know as you read those works, they are not worthy of you. I gave my life. I gave my life for Ryan. I gave my life for Lori. I gave my life for Sarah. I gave my life for JD. I gave my life for them. He will not fail you in that day. You should find great hope in the coming of that moment. Because it will be a special moment. A special moment. This passage in Isaiah 40 is full of hope. Because it exalts God. And the promise of His presence and His power and His forgiveness. This week, I want to give you some verses to meditate on, to pray over, to think about found in Psalm 33. They are verses 20 and 22. I want you to spend enough time with these verses that they become the cry of your heart. Our soul 
waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Your strength is renewed through your hope in the promise of His coming, the spread of His glory, the reliability of His word, the assurance of His justice, the tenderness of His care, and the abundance of His pardon. Let's pray together. Father, You are a great and mighty God. Lord, all of us in this room are now weary or will be weary at some point this week and in the weeks to come. Father, we pray that our hope would not be lost, but would be found in you. That when we recognize our hope is in something that is not able to withstand the pressures, weariness of this life, that we would redirect our eyes to you. God, help us to find hope in these things, these truths, and to trust in your word as we look forward to the future, God, and we live in faith. May that faith grow into great hope, and may that hope lead us to sacrifice in great love. Father, we pray this as your people, And God, I pray for anyone here this morning who does not call Jesus Savior. That you would help them to see right now your great love for them in Jesus. And that they would stop shaking their fist and surrender to you, to him now. God, as a group, we have to pray for Sarah and J.D., and their family. Father, we cannot see what you are doing. The doctors can't see it. Sarah can't see it. JD can't see it. But we know you are doing something. It may not be visible to us, but you are working. We trust you, God. But God, we wouldn't be honest if we didn't pray for Sarah's healing. She is a young mother. And our hearts go out to them. We know you are their only hope. Father, I don't know what means you will use, but I pray that you will heal her. We know your will will be done, God, in their lives because they are surrendered to you. God, strengthen them for this trial, this testing. Show us, Lord, how we can serve. Show us how we can love them. And God, may we be surrendered to serving in any way we can. We love you, Lord. We're here worshiping because we need more of you every day. Fill our hearts with hope, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.